This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 196. It is a Thursday night, December the 8th. 2022 it hasn't stopped raining for the past week so a little seasonal depression here in nashville but uh we're back and better than ever with a little little week off uh probably weekly episodes uh, from here on out after football season but we are as always powered by alaco finewood floors family owned and operated for more than two decades alaco finewood floors is nashville and middle tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors since 1995 jimmy alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in uh, Berry Hill, or you can call them at 615-356-0303, or look at their website, lockofinewoodfloors.com. Alaco Finewood Floors serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 19. 19- 95 and uh, guys Trevor Hulan, Will Byram here with you tonight on this Thursday night we've got a lot to get into you know it's amazing what you uh, what you have to talk about after a week off of not doing a podcast but kind of in recovery mode for football season Uh, we'll talk about the latest Vandy football commits I think we've got two to talk about and one of them guys I think I'm pretty excited about and Vandy fans should be too Uh, we'll talk about some of the transfer portal targets positions of need uh, after this uh, Vanderbilt football season we'll kind of dive into the roster a little bit and uh, kind of put ourselves in Barton Simmons shoes and uh, kind of look at what Vanderbilt needs here in the offseason and then We'll talk some hoops. Vanderbilt basketball pulled one out last night somehow against Pitt. Uh, One-point victory. So we'll get into that, guys. But another Thursday night, TDR after dark. Guys, I know it's been a week, but uh, I think it's good we've had some time to kind of stew over the football season. But I told you guys before the episode this will be mostly football and uh, probably not as much basketball. Uh, But, guys, I I think I'm glad they got a win because this would be maybe not as upbeat if Vanderbilt would have lost to Pitt uh, last night. At some point, Billy and Trevor, the football dust should settle and we can fully shift over to basketball season. And I think it was good waiting until Thursday night to really see what's going on in the transfer portal, because it is in one word, insane. There are over 1200 FBS names that have entered into the transfer portal. There are 129 FBS teams with 85 scholarships each. That's like 10,900 scholarships or somewhere around there. So like 12 to 15% of the overall player FBS current players have entered into the transfer portal. Now, not all of them are scholarship players, but 
Vanderbilt, for the most part, it's been relatively quiet. I think outside of Ray Davis, which is a huge splash. So I'm not trying to diminish that at all. But other than that, compared to every other team, including teams like Bama, that you haven't seen in the past be ravaged by it. I mean, it, it's just perpetual free agency. Billy, I think if you rewind to this podcast like two years when all of this one free transfer rule stuff started, I talked about that over and over and over. And I wasn't yeah. opposed to it because I, I'm a fan of these guys having more freedom to move to more advantageous situations. But this was coming a mile, a hundred. You could see it coming from a mile away. I messed up that phrase there as I was trying to think of something more clever to say, but it's like, if you didn't think that this was going to happen and it's just going to keep getting worse until at some point this bubble bursts and players start to see that there just simply aren't enough spots for transfers. I mean, if you don't see that and didn't see that coming, then I have some beachfront property to sell you here in Tennessee and Nashville, Tennessee as well, because it is the most obvious thing that you could have seen coming, just like how the NIL stuff is coming into these funds that are offered to these guys and NIL deals are part of the transfer process and part of the recruiting process, even though over and over and over, it was assured that it wasn't going to be. And I'm not saying this is an issue. I'm just saying that old heads need to get used to a completely different NCAA football offseason. It just is. It's not how it used to be. Teams are going to look drastically different. The idea of building a roster from the ground up with recruits coming in as freshmen is the modern equivalent of building through the NBA or NFL draft. With the advent of modern free agency and professional sports, this is the same thing in college sports, and it's just going to keep becoming more and more like this. So that's my rant on the overall state of college football and what's going on and, and having the dust settle around this Vanderbilt roster uh, is going to lead to a lot of rambling and a lot of discussions going into the 2020, 2023 season that go. doesn't even sound real as a year <laughs> so it's really throwing me off saying that about a roster being in 2023 because that's it's just not a real year well yeah guys i think barton simmons has positioned vanderbilt pretty well right now and and if you're a vanderbilt fan you've got to put your trust in him and, and that's what coach lee has done um and, and you know i think vanny fans should be excited now i'm not saying vanny's going to pick up a bunch of splash guys out of the portal uh but they're going to get six seven maybe eight guys and and they're bringing them in and they're going to help the team so you know I, I think they have positioned themselves well enough like not every college program has a gm i mean you know vanderbilt clark lee did that for a reason he knew this is where the college game was going and he did that for for a reason so we'll get into that guys we got a lot to get into again we'll talk basketball uh, towards the end Vanderbilt pulls one out against Pitt uh, we'll get into that but before we get to everything else don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report like us on Facebook subscribe to our YouTube channel our podcast is available on Anchor iTunes Spotify and Google Podcast and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes all right let's get to our breaking news Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flowing job 
to a lock of fine wood floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A lock of fine wood floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, guys, uh, no more game recaps or previews. Kind of sad now that you think of it, uh, football season being over. But we've got breaking news to get to. And uh, some of the news, guys, uh, I think this isn't really a piece of news. But, uh, you know, I want to start with the, the recent commits Vanderbilt got. Just kind of touch on those for, for a little bit here. Uh, Vanderbilt wide receiver commit Junior Sherrill. Uh, he's not a guy that recently committed, but he's been committed for a while. Lipscomb Academy, uh, of course, receiver stud. I mean, his stats, you look at his production, you look at his film, uh, he's a gamer. And he won Mr. Football Division Two Double A. The question becomes, guys, can Barton Simmons and company prevent him from following Trent Dilfer to UAB? Now, Junior may already have his mind up. He may not even be thinking about that. But I think that option for him is out there. Trent Dilfer has thrown an offer out there to him. He's thrown offers to, I, I heard, nine or ten guys that were on that Lipscomb Academy team that may be moving to UAB now. So, I think you got things like that that you're going to be watching if you're a Vanderbilt fan right now. So, guys, I I think he's staying. But again, if you're Vanderbilt, you know, for Junior Sherrill, that's a guy you need to keep. I mean, just one Mr. Football. C.J. Taylor was a guy that won Mr. Football. So, for Junior Sherrill, if he stays at Vanderbilt, I think that's a sign of progress for Vanderbilt because you're you know you're at a point where you can say you can point to two SEC wins and say, hey, stay home. You know, stay home with us. You know, stay committed to Vanderbilt as opposed to what a lot of players are doing in today's day and age, Will, as you just mentioned, in the open there, they're following maybe the money, they're following their old coach. They're fo- they're, there's a lot of movement, guys. And so I think if Vanderbilt is able to navigate that, you know, with a lot of different players, but we'll see here with Junior Sherrill, this is kind of a first step of, okay, can Vanderbilt navigate this? If they can, I think that's another showing, you know, another point of progress for, for this program. And, Will, I talked about it uh, last episode. I, I wanted to ha- I wanted to hammer down the fact that this offseason, yeah, it'll tell us, you know, more about the progress of, uh, of this team, but this season told us about the progress. I mean, I don't think we need to see a whole lot more. Yeah. You want to retain guys that are already retaining C.J. Taylor. We're going to get into the Ray Davis departure. But, guys, I think Vanderbilt, how they navigate this NIL transfer portal age and recruiting, that's where that's a big part of it as well with Cheryl. That's going to be huge. I mean, if you can retain a guy like Cheryl and, and have him say no to Dilfer, his high school coach, I think that would be a huge starting point. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go, Trevor. No, yeah. I mean, I totally agree, too. I mean, I think <clears> – <throat> And I know there's going to be – I imagine there's going to be another recruit in particular that we're going to get into um, later on about in regards to getting a big offer, and it's going to be yep. a real test for Vanderbilt to see if they can retain him. But, I mean, yeah, no, I, I think Junior Sherrill, I think he's one I, – I went and saw him a couple times this year. Um, me and some buddies just went to watch him play. He's a um, player. He's – he's going to get legitimate starting time as a freshman. He's going to get legitimate touches. He looks like one of those SEC receivers. And I'm sort of with you. I'm sort of with you, Billy. I, I understand being a little hesitant of him going to UAB following Dilfer. I get it. I just, he he hasn't proven anything down there yet. No, I, and I'm in, I mean, the staff, I mean, junior share, I mean, all these, kids are a lot smarter than we give him credit for yeah i i imagine he's looking at the staff that he's putting together and realizes that it's a lipscomb academy but for a d1 football program and maybe thinking in his mind "Mm, 
this might not work. You know what I mean? Um, well, with that being said, if he went to somewhere like UAB, I mean, I imagine I don't I don't know their roster top to bottom, but I imagine he would be a number one, number two guy in that offense. Yeah. Um, he's not going to be a number one, number two guy his freshman year. Now he might. I mean, God willing, I hope and I really think he's going to turn into like a number one receiver as he progresses, and he's definitely going to get touches next year. Um, but no, I'm right there with you. I think this would be a big challenge for Barton, and I think it's I think it's funny. I think. Sort of going back to um, Barton Simmons and his role in Vanderbilt, I think Vanderbilt fans need to realize that we are in a very fortunate position. And sort of going back to what you said, what you guys said with the portal, and they might not make a lot of splash plays in like splash plays right. in this portal, big name stars. But if somebody like Barton Simmons, who developed numerous recruiting systems and was the guy whenever it came to like spotting talent. If even if he doesn't have the stars, even if he doesn't have the offer list, even if he didn't put up crazy numbers at his previous school, if he's got Barton's approval, then I mean, I don't want to say I'm going in with blind faith, but if Vanderbilt offers them and Barton's like, yeah, he's the guy. I think you're dumb not to be like, all right, let's ride. Even if the offer list sucks, even if there wasn't much production at other, at other schools or yeah. wherever stars aren't there. I think he's one of those guys. And I think you're seeing that with Cheryl. Um, I think his offer list is, is starting to really, really pick up another recruit that we're probably going to get into. Pimpton. He's starting to really, yeah. Pimpton. He's starting to, I mean, Texas, the big one. I imagine he's going to get a recruiting bump. Yep. In hell, in hell's really visit. Seconds. In-house visit tonight with Lustig and Lynch. So that's I did guys. see that, and that's that's big by the staff to see a Texas kid. Yeah, to basically tell him, "Hey, we're coming to your house. You're staying at Vandy." Like, you know, th- that's well, that's that's this the is type this of- is also the thing. Pimpton is a great example of what I always talk about, which is I, if you want to talk to a guy that's really into like individual recruits and individual ratings of individual guys, you're talking to the wrong guy. I like I I don't buy into that whatsoever. However, him? I buy into number one the overall composite rankings at yes like large scale. You have to recruit to a certain level with your overall ranking compared to other teams. But individual guys are really hit or miss. It's like individual stocks versus ETFs. Overall, the rankings go uh, are relatively accurate or the best judge of who is going to be successful in the field. But individual guys, I mean, the actual rankings, like you've seen Pimpton go from being, you know, the number 600, 700 player three star to being a four star just because Texas showed interest. This is a great example of what we always talk about. These rankings are bullshit. They're all just very, they they are meaningful initially. It's about who offers the kid. It's it's about Alabama. It's about how they perform at camps. And then it's about if blue bloods are interested in them. It is consistent. It's not a fluke. It's not in your head. It is if blue bloods offer or they take official visits to these blue blood programs, they will receive a boost in rankings. That's just how it is. Because if fans don't like what they see on the 24-7 site in ranking, they'll go to the rivals board. If they don't and like that, all they'll different. go to the ESPN 300 board. Yeah, it's it, they're all different. You're seeing more and more variation as it continues, as they continue to shift towards pleasing the fan bases of the larger fan bases that pay their bills. 
it's like the bond rating system in 2008 and the housing crisis. I like comparing everything back to what I do every single day finance, but it's all just bullshit outside of the large scale, take a step back, look where Vanderbilt is ranked in the overall grand scheme of things, 42nd. That's not great, but there is some individual talent. And what I'm more concerned about is CJ Taylor returning and Will Shepard returning. Ray Davis was a gut punch, but I had my eyes on the transfer market and I'm more of the guy that's, let's see where the dust settles uh, when Penn actually hits paper on Sunday. And guys, I think this recruiting staff, we know how good they are. You know, we, we know how big mm-hmm. they are. I mean, how many staff members do they have on that recruiting staff? It looks like a lot. <laughs> you know, they already yeah. lost uh, Smoke Dixon, I think, to he got he found an elevation somewhere. Um, so mm-hmm. Barton Simmons has this ship headed in the right direction along with Clark Lee. Uh, so I don't think Vandy fans have anything to worry about in, in, in that department. But Camorion Pimpton is a great example of if Vanderbilt can keep him in Nashville – that is massive. I mean, they're they're visiting with him as we speak right now, and and Texas has just offered him. I, I think it yesterday. I think it might have been today. But so that that's what I'm pointing at, guys. This staff is strategic enough, and they're smart enough to know. Hey, we need to go see this kid in person and talk to him. I don't know yeah. if Derek Mason and his staff. He might have had four or five staff members on the recruiting staff. Mm-hmm. So that those are some of the differences, guys, that we're already seeing. And will we've talked about this a lot when as soon as Clark Lee was hired. After the Barton Simmons hire, we said this is going to be a huge difference in this program, and you've already seen it. So uh, we'll see about Junior Sherrill. We'll, we'll see about Kamarion Pipton. We'll continue to track those two guys and see if they stay at Vandy. That'd be huge. But, guys, a couple of commits to talk about. We'll start with three-star offensive tackle Misael Sandoval. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's a kid out of California monster of a man 6'6 325 out of St. Augustine High School he's got the size of an SEC lineman uh, chose Vandy uh, after decommitting from San Diego State so not the most impressive offers uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there he's a guy that you know they're looking at measurables guys you know they're looking at he's oh this kid's 6'6 325 maybe we can develop this kid into something special so that's that's something they're looking at but guys I want to talk about AJ Newberry you can teach form you can teach technique you can't teach size. Right. And Absolutely. That's, that's what I, Vanderbilt – Vanderbilt's looking for that on the line, and they're looking for the opposite of that at skill positions. It's pretty interesting to watch. They're looking for guys like McGowan, the opposite. They're looking for – they're not looking for size. They're looking for speed. Yes. And they know that, that speed is undervalued just like on the line pure size and strength is undervalued. So yes. Barton is evaluating yeah. this more like – a a GM like his job title is. And it's weird because there's been a lot of news in, in Nashville with the firing of John Robinson at, at G as the GM of the Tennessee Titans, but the GM has as much of an impact on an NFL roster as, as the head coach, anything, any actual outcome on the field. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see how we just talked about that. Basically college football has become a free agency and Vanderbilt, I think was definitely, I think Trevor, you mentioned it ahead of the curve and bringing in Barton just to manage light years ahead because it's one thing to say 20 years ago that a head coach at the in a, at the college level is fully in control of every aspect of the team every aspect of the roster that is literally impossible now with guys transferring there's there's a separate tab on 24/7 sports just for transfer rankings that's why that's why Nick Saban has started to struggle world. You're seeing the the cracks. It has to be run more like a professional franchise as college athletics continues to progress 
into being more like professional sports and you're seeing it all across the board. And I think Vanderbilt was a step ahead with that. So we constantly criticize Vanderbilt on being a step behind everyone in all of college football and, and especially within the power five, but they were definitely a step ahead with the hiring of Barton Simmons. And something to go on what you said about the offensive line and then recruiting size, like you said, I totally agree. You can, you can teach technique. If you get a kid in who's raw, that's fine. You can develop him. It's a lot harder for him to put on height and for him to, to beef up. And that's historically been a knock against Vanderbilt. As long as I've been a fan, Vanderbilt has always been thin on the offensive line. The and they've always team. been really small. And now you have a kid who you just talked about his measurables. I, I, think he, I think in high school, I think he played a little bit of tackle. So you can move him out there but has the ideal size of a guard and I imagine could be a really nasty guard too. Yeah. But if he has that, if, if let's say, let's say he's one of those kids, I haven't watched his tape much. Um, whenever he committed, I did, but let's say he does have that size to where you can put him on the outside and put him at tackle. Beautiful. You have a monster for t- to protect your quarterback, either at the right or the blind side. If you don't put him in the interior and you have a monster in the middle of your offensive line. And that's something that Vanderbilt has quite frankly, never had. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's refreshing to finally see a coaching staff and a recruiting staff be like, okay, we need some, we need some big boys in here. Yeah. We need some guys who, who before they even get into the program weigh over 300 pounds. That, yeah, that would be, ideal. Well, it's money ball got in it, a yeah. post money ball era when there's no money. It's the the best teams produce the most NFL talent. Well, what measurables are the most consistent among NFL talent and what cannot be replicated through training and, and a weight room training program and taking those measurables and reversing that out and starting from the bottom up. So you're seeing Vanderbilt take shots on guys like Darren Agu, who saw the field a lot early, and he was certainly not a heavily recruited guy, but just a freak physically. So he, he had some offers late, but a lot of this is weird. You're seeing Barton offer these guys commit and or kind of trend in the Vanderbilt direction. And then later on schools are kind of realizing, oh, yep. shit, yep. this is a diamond in the rough because guess what? If a guy was getting a big elevation on the 24 seven rankings uh, or on his scout ranking, guess who was in charge of that? The guy that's in charge of finding Vanderbilt's recruits. So you better believe that regardless of what you see on 24 seven, you are getting the best 24-7 rated class that is possible at Vanderbilt because mm-hmm. you have one of the designers. Yeah. In, I don't know what the right I mean, word he, is. He was at 24-7 forever. Creators. Yeah, one of, yeah. The, one of the reasons. The Simmons brothers literally is, created the recruiting services. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, I, that's I don't know enough baby. about that story, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, him and his like, brother literally like created all of it. Like they are um, – 24 seven, his brother created on three. Um, I mean, they are like him and Chad are like, I mean, before it was just, I think before it was just scout. And then here come the Simmons brothers and legitimately Shannon Terry. I mean, that's the main reason that that we, uh, that I don't think we've been as critical of the recruiting is because it's like if Vanderbilt's bringing in these classes with Barton Simmons here, then they probably couldn't have done any better on the 24 seven rankings than they are doing right right now. 
Yeah. And so it's like, you're sitting there with, okay, this is, it's like what we said, or I said, Trevor, I think you were definitely a part of it at that point and the downtime. But when I said that maybe I was done, if the Clark Lee thing didn't work out, because it was like, before we were always saying we need this or need to see the administration do this or need to see the staff's commitment here, need to see them pursuing a recruiting class in this design. Well, they're doing all of that now. And I think Mm -hmm. the two wins definitely changed our perspective on that, but yeah, we haven't been as critical, but boy, I'm ready to start seeing some of these younger guys uh, take the next step this upcoming season. No, no doubt. Okay. And guys, we cannot take for granted Barton Simmons and this recruiting staff. I, I will continue to harp on that to, to fans and and uh, you know, Vandy fans are are, are pretty pretty blessed right now uh, to have that staff. But guys, one more uh, player to talk about: three-star running back AJ Newberry, uh, a kid out of Texas, six foot, two hundred pounds, out of South Grand Prairie High School, chose Vandy after decommitting from Colorado. And I tweeted about this guy the other day. I said Barton Simmons might have just plucked away a Colorado commit before Coach Prime could even talk to him, could even get in contact with him. This Vandy recruiting staff is underrated. Elite. Now, yeah, I don't Something know if about that's, the Texas boys. No, I'm, 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 yeah, I don't know if that's back. I don't know if that's true. I mean, it may not be, but I, th- I think there's a good chance Barton Simmons said Oh, Dion's going to Colorado. Let me go try to pluck a couple guys from that recruiting staff that from that recruiting class that might say, I don't want to play for this Dion guy. Can, I don't know if I'll play. The Dion Sanders thing is insane because Colorado is literally hiring him, banking that he's going to bring his son and attract current high level recruits. It's like this four year window that they're going to be really good Which, and then yeah. it is going to be a and shit he's gonna, show. Well, he might leave. Going, I, he might I, leave. Like, after I don't, two or three I, it doesn't matter if he, yeah. if he leaves. Deion Sanders is going to make Colorado relevant or at least nationally on the stage for two to four years. After four years, Colorado is going to be in an awful place. I just had to get that on the record recorded somewhere so that I could reference back to (laughs) that I was right about that because you can see it from a mile away. This is Colorado in a desperation move. Yeah, it was a great hell of a hire, but this kid is he looks he looks oh, yeah. Uh, he looks legit. His other offers, Indiana, Nebraska, Cal, Georgia Tech, Tulane. So, Will, you talk about offer sheets, offer lists all the time. Pretty good list right there. I mean, pretty solid. Top 50 running back in the country, according to 24-7. And, guys, he are, he's already rated in the top half of Andy's current recruiting class. So, he's already at the top half of the class. I've got a good feeling about this kid. Uh, he he remi- you know, Guys, you know Quinshawn Judkins at Ole Miss, a, a kid that came in mm-hmm. as a three-star uh, probably the same height and weight as A.J. Newberry, a kid out of Alabama that, you know, I don't know how hard Nick Saban was pushing after him, but this guy kind of reminds me of a type of recruit like that where, you know, he may, he's he's talented, but he may not may not have all the offers that he wants, so he goes to a school where he can, where he can prove himself. This sort of reminds me of this A.J. Newberry kid a little bit. I mean, I've seen a couple YouTube videos of him. There, I don't think he has seen your film uh, up yet. Uh, but guys, this is another type of kid where you see what Barton Simmons is doing and he's being strategic saying, I'm going to attack that Colorado recruiting class where Deion Sanders, he may not take anybody from the current recruiting class. He may take mm-hmm. all transfer portal guys. So another school is Nebraska where their coach is leaving, uh, Purdue where their coach is leaving. So, you know, they have opportunities there to say, hey, let me try to pluck a couple guys that may be wanting to play at a school like Vanderbilt, just wanting to go to a class or a program like like Vanderbilt, and that's what A.J. Newberry's doing. So, guys, I, I'm excited about this kid. I think Vandy fans should be. He's already rated in the top half of the class. This is another example of 
Barton Simmons and sort of his magic, sort of, sort of the, the the development and, and the talent on that recruiting staff. So I wanted to throw that guy out there. Also um, had to have it because that that running back room went yeah, from needed a strength it, yeah. to looking yeah. very, very thin when Ray Davis announced that he was not going back and he was transferring. That went from being you have Ray Davis and Patrick Smith who are going to take 98% of the carries next season uh, to you have Patrick Smith and Gillespie and Lutz and Maurice Edwards is also, he already transferred out and entered his name into the transfer portal officially. So he's going to get an opportunity as a true freshman to see the field on an SEC roster. And I think that's definitely appealing. Uh, same as, same thing with uh, at the tight end position. There is an opportunity to immediately see the field. Pimpton will play. End. Exactly. Pimpton will get a lot to of immediately time. get. And I guarantee you that's I guarantee you that's what they're telling him tonight. I'm saying they're saying, listen, yeah. we just lost Bresnahan. Schoenwald is, you know, he's Schoenwald. You know, you could come in here and play, maybe start. And in the transfer portal era, I think that's a more appealing offer than ever. Because you're saying you're going to get the opportunities of freshman versus before you would tell a kid, hey, right now you're a freshman, you'll come in, you'll redshirt another season, and then it's your time as a redshirt sophomore. Well, now you may have another dude that transfers in as a five-star if you go to one of these other programs uh, as a junior. And then all of a sudden you're exactly where you started, and then you're entering your name into the transfer portal to transfer to a school like Vanderbilt where, where you will have the opportunity for immediate playing time. So I think if anything – the modern college athletics doesn't it, it can only be good for Vanderbilt because the old system certainly doesn't work for Vanderbilt. <laughs> so this is uh, where I get this is where I get I see Vanderbilt fans on it all the time. I'll see the occasional one complaining or about NIL money or something going on with the transfer portal, guys transferring out. I'm like, well guys, the last 120 years haven't really worked the out. last 70 years yeah. have really have been pretty shitty. Like I can't imagine it getting worse. So like maybe this new system, let's view it as an opportunity because it, it like you are the There's worst no program back. in the entire oh. conference. First off, it's inevitable. You're not going to be able to avoid it. And second off, you can't get worse than being the worst. So I think if anything, this whole free transfer thing is going to even out the talent level in the long run. Uh, and I think that's going to be interesting when you have a team poised with already a GM well aware of where this was all heading. Uh, I think Vanderbilt's going to have an opportunity in the next, I, I don't think a big splash commits or big splash transfer guys, but actually building out a roster that is sustainable. And I think that's going to be a lot tougher than just pulling in splash four and five star guys or hitting the big ticket item in the transfer portal and getting a guy or getting a rental for a year. I think building a roster of guys that are going to be there and actually stay is going to become just something unheard of and an aspect of a program that recruits look for. And I think Vanderbilt and Clark Lee and Barton Simmons have an opportunity to build that. Yeah, I'll say that. I'll say that too. Something, I mean, something that we always harp on. I know, and I, Will, you brought it up numerous times, bringing up Ray Davis, just lost him, obviously. Huge gut punch, as we all said, to the running back room. But I was right there with Will. I think, God, I think I know one of the biggest knocks against Ray Davis was his speed. And so, like you said, with recruiting, what does Vanderbilt need? They need size in the trenches. And at your skill positions, you need speed because you can't teach speed. You just got to get fast kids in. That's why Jaden McGowan was so good. And getting guys particularly that are sustainable 
like AJ Newberry, who are going to stay there for a while, hopefully, God willing. But what does AJ Newberry have that Vanderbilt needs desperately? Speed at the running back position. He's ex- he's explosive. I think we too. should. I think we should note AJ Newberry, Texas track star. He runs in eleven point eight a hundred yard as a junior. And then ran a twenty-two point twenty-one two hundred as a sophomore. Something about those Texas track stars, I think. Old Mike I, Wright also fit into yeah. that category, and and certainly his legs were not the issue. We haven't even hit on the, the good Mike thing Wright about, transfer and how much oh, the will. national storyline of that has pissed pissed me. Oh, off. hey, we will oh, hold, hold, hold right geez, there, guys. Good lord, hold right I there. Write a we'll, about that. Uh, I, and I'm glad we're all going to – all three of us are going to agree on that. I, I already know we are. Uh, but, guys, so A.J. Newberry, though, I, I, I have a good fe- – you, you ever just have a good feeling about a kid even though you don't really know a whole lot about him? You, you look at him – His tape is you, fun to watch. Yeah, he hasn't even released his, his tape. His tape is a Taylor in the go. Yeah, so, guys, recruiting is uh, ongoing for Vanderbilt. I think I just saw an in-home visit with Demarion Thomas, uh, one of the defensive tackle commits, and uh, Lustig and Lynch are trying to convince Pimpton to to stay in Nashville right now. So uh, we'll try to keep track of recruiting. Uh, Portal. Let's go to the portal, guys. Uh, Before we talk about uh, some of the positions of need and maybe some potential targets that could be headed to Nashville, uh, plucked away by uh, Barton and this uh, this team – Ray Davis has entered the portal. Uh, saw him in Anthony's tweets last Friday night and uh, thought there was a chance he'd be back. Uh, I mean, fairly confident. Uh, we tweeted from the Doorport account saying it looks like Ray will be back uh, because it did. Uh, I mean, that song, uh, I mean, allow me to reintroduce myself. Uh, you thought that maybe Ray Davis was coming back. But, guys, Kentucky is Do you really- remember me last episode, Billy, making the reference to uh, being the the ex with the trust issues that's been cheated on <laughs> multiple times, and you're just waiting for the shoe to drop or the thing that just is going to come out of nowhere and be like, what the That's f-? it. Like, just the gut punch. Yep. That was it. I that said was it. it. Yep. And <laughs> I think I spoke it into existence. You manifested it. You I manifested did. it. But I knew. <laughs> is, I, I, this it's is off been, will, everybody. This is, it, I blame it's you. It's why there's, there was yes. this little piece of me that was not riding 100% high because I just felt like there was going to be some back to reality moment. And it was that. So I had to it. just shift my focus to the fact that C.J. Taylor was staying uh, and that Will Shepard appears to be staying as well. So those yeah. two things and are massive. If Will Shepard leaves, I don't know, just just come to my address, <laughs> Billy. You know where I live. You might need to check on me if Will Shepard leaves. <laughs> if Will Shepard stays, Will, Will's going to be tweeting, thank you, universe, again after uh, you tweeted that last night after the pit win. Uh, but guys, what we're going to can- need is we're going to need Will to say out loud that Will Shepard's staying so that he can manifest this. Uh, it, I just don't it. feel like that's going to work. I that's just feel just like I was just right. On, I was. It, it doesn't <laughs> work with positive things. things. It only works with negative things. So oh, I can't say something gosh. that I want to happen. I can only manifest bad things to happen. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a bad that's, power to wield what because it's also terrible. Yeah, it's terrible for me if anything I say like that happens. But it is what it is. Right, guys, he's from California. being stung in the lip by a bee. It can only happen to me. <laughs> Maybe, in November. <laughs> maybe Ray it's goes like being back sued to... by the Canadian press, Billy. Like we are currently <laughs> being sued 
for an article that had a picture inside of it or being sued by the Canadian press for I don't even know what it was what the actual name for damages <laughs> because we used a picture with a copy I just literally got off the phone with a legal assistant not even a paralegal they they had an intern we'll, we'll, call us uh, we'll, we'll get into report, that, that we'll get into that later we'll, we're going I can't wait rails. to get into that <laughs> we'll, we'll save that it, for it the doesn't end matter. but I've had like guys, two margaritas so <laughs> But Ray Davis, uh, he's from California. Maybe he goes to ho- close to home to a school like UCLA or Cal. Um, but, guys, I want to ask the question, how does Vandy replace Ray Davis? Um, you, you know, you got to believe they're getting a running back out of the portal. you got to believe that's a must because that's what they did a couple years ago to get Ray because they knew they needed to do that. Now, if, they, if you don't get a, a running back out of the portal – you're stuck with Chase Gillespie. I hate to say stuck, but, you know, you've got Chase Gillespie. You've got uh, Patrick Smith. You've got a young kid in A.J. Newberry still back there. Um, Dylan betts Polly as well. So, you know, you've got young depth back there. But, guys, would you agree they, they've got to get a running back out of the portal? I mean, I, I, I can't really think – I can't think of anything else to replace Ray in his production. Because no, now you don't have – Go ahead, because now, because now you don't have a running quarterback either to yeah. sort of counteract that. I think you have to get somebody out of the portal. Um, uh, Arlen, I'm forgetting his last name, the guy out of Stanford. Arlen I mean, Harris, yeah. Yes, he seems like an ideal candidate. Um, if you don't get somebody out of the portal, you're going to have to pray to God that Patrick Smith kicks it into gear. I think we can all agree Which Patrick I think Smith he had can. a off year last year. I, yes, I was about to say that. I I definitely think I'm a Patrick I'm a Patrick Smith truther. Yeah. I'm a big believer in him. I think last year, obviously an off year. I think the suspension sort of coming in late in the season maybe threw a wrench in the thing. But I mean, I'm right there with you, Billy. You have to get you have to get somebody in the portal. If you don't get somebody in the portal um, to replace um, Ray's production. I mean, you're obviously going to have to run a running back by committee um, unless Patrick Smith has like a breakout year, but you're going to have to somehow get production from Gillespie, Patrick Smith, and I imagine A.J. Newberry will be getting a lot of touches. I, and, and, I mean, I think this offense is is going to look drastically different than what we saw last season because – Number one, you don't have quarterback depth. So you're not going to want to put your quarterback in any type of situation in A.J. Swan that he's going to be hit. So pretty much eliminate any type of that read option quarterback fake, uh, allowing him to be hit because you're not going to want to put in a redshirt freshman. Right, you don't have Mike Wright back there. Exactly, or Ken Seal. So number one is that. Number two, it's regardless, but especially if they don't get a running back in the transfer portal. But if they, even if they do, this is going to be a passing offense. I mean, the strength is going to shift. It's going to be weird. You're just not going to have the horses in the backfield. But you're really kind of going to have to rely on these guys all taking a massive step forward, including Will Shepard. Uh, but Will Shepard's step forward is really going to be about the other guys taking a step forward. Quincy Skinner Jr., Jaden McGowan. Gamarion Carter, a guy that we didn't see this year, Davion Walker, or at least see much this year. I don't think we saw him at all. These guys are going to have to be threats because this offense is runs, even though the O-line does have Julian Hernandez returning and that grease gang uh, should be about as good of an O-line as we've had at Vanderbilt. Yep. I'm not saying that's elite or anything, but it should be pretty mm-hmm. solid. This can't yeah. just be 
a read option run style with the occasional pass style offense. It's going to have to be on AJ Swan's arm and on these guys on the outside. And that's going to be weird. It's going to be a big test and it, the schedule, I know it's very early, but works favorably for Vanderbilt. Get AJ comfortable. A new style of offense and get AJ comfortable with the weapons on the outside. Exactly. So it's going to be interesting regardless of what happens with the running back transfer portal situation. But the plans for this coaching staff certainly changed when Ray Ray Davis uh, entered his name. Yeah. And guys, they couldn't have been happy with that. I mean, you know, obviously Ray Davis, he, he, he was attempting to get into Vanderbilt grad school um, and that doesn't work out for him. You know, he, he wanted to be back. He tweeted out that 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 song. I mean, he he wanted to be back. He thought he true? was going. Yeah, I mean, well, what did the yeah, tweet? Mean? What did the what did the tweet mean? I mean, I'm I know I'm reading tea leaves, but I mean, the guy. It, it's I think it's safe to say. I, I Ray just wanted find to be it hard back. to believe. It's, I find it hard to believe with Deermeyer as the chancellor and with Candace Story Lee currently and the amount they've invested into that field. I just personally. I don't. I, I know maybe they didn't have as many. I find it hard to believe that Ray. It's, this Davis is this is a grad school 100%. issue. That's a fact. That's a fact. I, I, yeah. I just. I, it, it's I, a fact. I don't know. I that he's one hundred percent committed to coming here. I know that there may be issues in the past. I just find it hard to believe that Ray Davis was committed to finding a program or getting accepted into it one hundred percent, and then immediately tweeted out one hour after putting his screenshot of the transfer portal that he had an offer from Kentucky. I just find that hard to believe, but it could be the truth. Who knows? I, I mean, I've obviously I don't know that it's been hundred percent, one hundred percent committed as well is different than saying, oh, I submitted an application and they didn't have my graduate field of study of choice. I mean, committed, wanted to be back in black and gold. I don't know. I'm just not buying that. Yeah, Could I mean, I've I've, 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 I've heard he he wanted to be back. Now, you know, that obviously hasn't been publicly confirmed by anybody. But you know, if you're Ray Davis, I I, I don't know why if you're Ray Davis you wouldn't want to be back. You know, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't but want to be back with Swan and this offense and what you did and the production you had in the SEC. Now, we'll see where he ends up. Um, I've heard Kentucky's throwing NIL money at him. Uh, you know, there's 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 sort of two sides to this Ray Davis rumor, per se. One side of it is Kentucky is throwing NIL money at him. They were tampering with him late in the season or even after the season. They said, hey, we want you at Kentucky. That's That's one side. Now, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. I, I tend to believe that didn't happen. The other side of it is Ray wanted to be back, and he didn't get into Vanderbilt grad school. And I'm on that side of the belief uh, because, you know, I don't I don't see any reason why uh, Ray Davis wouldn't have wanted to be back. So, But then again, because we're, he's we're, not we're only... an NFL back. He's not an NFL back. Kentucky saw him in that game. Ray Davis has recognized the fact he's not an NFL guy because he's not going to run the 40 that's required to be an NFL guy. Just is. right, but you, you keep Kentucky saying he's not an NFL guy. I think he's Ray not. Can develop, I, I think he can develop you, into I'll an NFL guy. He doesn't have the 40. I, it doesn't he's matter. A four star, 40 he's, a, he's a four star transfer in the portal right now. Like, I think he could I play in the NFL. There, there are uh, okay. Well, th- this I mean, is I, one of the few I, times, I, Billy, that we disagree. He's just gonna run. I just, a four, I don't, he's gonna I don't run a like, four six plus, which is all that matters. And I love no, Ray. That's I think not he's all a that great matters. That's not that's not all that matters. I just I don't I don't like downplaying what Ray has done because I, I mean it's not downplaying. I'm just it, saying he's not an NFL guy. I think Earl Bennett was the best receiver Vanderbilt has ever had. I don't think he's the best NFL receiver. 
or NFL prospect that Vanderbilt will ever or ever has had. I think that's Will Shepard. So I think those are two different things. I just think he's not going to run a sub four six, and t- a team's not going to draft him. And then he's going to be bounced around practice squad. So if he got offered significant NIL money, that's different for him than CJ Taylor because CJ Taylor or Orgy, which we don't know the status of Orgy hundred percent, are probably going to be first one through three round picks, and that's just not going to be the case for Ray Davis. We'll see about Ray, but I do think he wanted to be back at Vandy. Uh, didn't didn't get into Vanderbilt grad school. I mean, that, that was the issue with him. And you know, we'll we'll see how Vandy goes about replacing him, guys. I mean, you, I I like to believe Patrick Smith and and Gillespie sort of by committee this running back uh, group could uphold that because you know you don't have a running quarterback, so there will be you know there would be some added pressure on that running back group to carry the load in the running game and in the production in the running game. So. Uh, Ray Davis into the portal. Uh, that leads us to Mike Wright entering the portal. And, of course, there's a lot of overreaction to this. Um, I, I, we love Mike, guys. We, we love Mike, but A.J. is the future of this program. It's plain and simple. There's nothing else to say. That you know We could stop it there. Yes, Mike has earned the opportunity to, to start. You know He earned the opportunity to start against UT after back-to-back SEC wins, but – it's time for Vandy to build around A.J. Swan and hand him the keys to the car. That's what Coach Lee has done. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we, we're not going to hear this from anybody, but I wouldn't be surprised to to hear, you know, something that Coach Lee, you know, said to Mike Wright saying, hey, listen, A.J.'s our guy. I wouldn't be surprised if Coach Lee told him that. Now, I don't know if he directly told him that, but Mike is a smart guy. He knows A.J. Swan is the future of this program. He gave Vandy all he had. I mean, Mike had a had a had a a great stretch run of this season down the stretch of the season. He'll get another opportunity somewhere else, and and we wish him well. But I thought Clark and his staff guys did a really good job navigating this quarterback situation. And and you touched on this a couple episodes ago, Trevor. The, the local perception of Mike Wright is is honestly pretty funny. Um, Bruno Reagan had a great tweet. He said, I, "I see a lot of Nashville media don't don't even know AJ Swan exists." I mean, Ray Davis is a big loss, but guys, Mike Wright will be replaced by Swan, and this program is going to be fine. Like, I, the, the, the local uh, reaction was, yeah, I mean, the local reaction <laughs> was just ridiculous from this. Um, you can tell there's a lot of Nashville media that didn't watch Vanderbilt football uh, this season. Um, they may miss Wright's leadership in the locker room, but this culture is strong enough to to counteract that with other guys like C.J. Taylor. Will Shepard, other guys that are going to continue to build this culture. So, you know, it's we. I, I know we all agree on this. AJ Swan's the future. I saw a few tweets about, you know, I don't understand hating on Mike Wright. We're not hating on Mike Wright. Like, no. we're not. We're not hating on Mike. He did a lot for this program this year. But you have to look at the the fact of the matter and say they brought in a four star quarterback for a reason. <laughs> you know, they didn't bring AJ in to back up Mike Wright for the next two years. I mean, that's plain and simple. So that's where it's at. Yeah. I know, I know you guys agree. And two, like, I don't, I don't want to like insult anybody or like question anybody's fandom particularly, but I did see like a couple of fans sort of have that same attitude. I'm going to be honest. Just, this is just my opinion. If you didn't see this coming, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't even, even with Mike and that stretch, even after the Florida game, I was like, he's going to hit the portal. I mean, it's just like – and I'm not – I don't want to act like I'm like a savant or anything like that, but 
I mean, AJ Swan is clearly the future. No, he's not as mobile as Mike Wright. Um, I think that the offense is going to, like we just hammered on, um, you're going to see a change in offensive scheme to where you're not going to run as many RPOs. Um, I think it'll still be a staple of the offense, but you're not going to have him. You're not going to really design him to scramble. It'll be too much of a liability. Um, you're going to see like more of a traditional West Coast offense that we've seen at Vanderbilt for a really long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, if you didn't see this coming, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, and I, I love Mike. I am very, very thankful for what he has provided to the program. Um, I think he's a great, he was a great ambassador for Vanderbilt. But at the end of the day, AJ Swan is the better quarterback. AJ Swan makes better throws. He has the better arm. Everything that you would like in a quarterback, AJ Swan provides that over Mike Wright. Um, I mean, I just, and yeah, the, the the local Nashville media thing was so frustrating. I was, whenever I was at the Tennessee game and they brought in AJ Swan, then again, this dude was not a local Nashville media guy, but he's like, oh, they got the backup in. And I like leaned over and I was like, actually, like, if he didn't get hurt, he would be the starter. And he looked at me like I had three eyes. And I'm like, I get that you probably don't watch a lot of Vanderbilt football. But this is still like an SEC team, a, still a power five. Like, how do you like the do you just this like expose these, the laziness of like we always like you're hitting on it perfectly. Fans are one thing. Like if fans aren't aware yeah. and they just looked at the box scores and said, oh, Mike Wright led them to their first and just read that headline of their first two SEC wins and he's Vanderbilt's starting quarterback is transferring out. It's one thing if other opposing fan bases think that. Yeah. I saw articles written that way in in everywhere. I saw tweets I constantly from real blue check marks, not blue check marks like me. Anyone that watched or even – even kept up with what was going on inside of this Vanderbilt program. This Mike Wright transfer was inevitable and going to happen because he wasn't going to be the starter next year. AJ Swan provides so much more versatility of how you can utilize the pieces outside of your quarterback. And it just allows you to create a game plan that keeps defenses on their toes and guessing a lot more than Mike Wright provided. It's why Vanderbilt was able to beat a Kentucky and a Florida team that didn't have explosive passing offenses because Vanderbilt was able to be opportunistic and score. And then the opponent wasn't able to score in bunches. So this, this was going to happen. And it just pissed me off because I was like, this is your job to know this. And I saw people on sec network saying Vanderbilt's with the title on the screen of Vanderbilt starting quarterback transfers underneath led them to two at their first two sec wins and that is just ignorant and it's just intentionally placing drama on vanderbilt's program that was unintentional because i think everyone that's actually followed the program this is not a departure even and i'm not saying there's any negative thoughts i tweeted out best luck to ray davis i want to see him ball out wherever he goes i always root for these guys when they leave he played hard for a year but I mean, I think the entire fan base is rooting for Mike Wright. And I don't think Mike Wright has ill feelings towards Vanderbilt or the Vanderbilt fan base. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know him. But I know Vanderbilt fans love Mike Wright uh, for the Mm -hmm. most part. And every single Vanderbilt fan wants to see him go and succeed. He just doesn't have a power five arm. And A.J. Swan has an NFL arm. 
So it just is what it is. Being honest isn't being negative. Being honest isn't being harsh. I'm not saying that I hate Mike Wright because he doesn't have a power five arm. I'm just saying he doesn't, and it's undeniable. And that's why he's not going to end up at another power five program. He's going to transfer down, and that just is what it is there. So Vanderbilt fans knew this was coming. Uh, but the national storyline, it just put a bad taste in my mouth to see people that it's their job to keep up with SEC football, just be completely ignorant of what's actually going on in Nashville. I don't like saying this, but th- this is a positive transfer for Vanderbilt. I mean, th- this is this and is not everyone. a this is not a negative. I absolutely I mean, agree. Th- there, there's a lot of local national people saying, man, huge loss for Vanderbilt. That It's not. This is a positive step in the right direction. I, I, I hate saying it, but you're giving the keys to A.J. Swan. You're you're handing him the keys of the car, saying this is your program, this is your offense. We're catering to you. We're not gonna and things are gonna get easier for us now. You know we're gonna we're gonna be able to build around a potential NFL quarterback. You know and that's well. And I'm, it completely I'm, eliminates yeah. any talk of a quarterback battle. That's another thing yes. that we haven't said. I think we don't and, have and I, an entire, and I, I think what that was, but we don't have an entire off season to sit here and talk and have the 20% of the Vanderbilt fan base that's not on board with AJ Swan doesn't have time to constantly comment with every single incomplete pass that, Oh, look, he doesn't have a great arm. I'm like, or every single pass that Mike Wright completes, look, he has a good arm. I'm like a slant for 12 yards is not the reason or does not constitute a power five or NFL arm. I'm like, yeah, of course he can make some good throws. He's still a college level quarterback. So I just think it it eliminates all these other storylines on the outside and lets this team focus and move forward, especially yeah. now that Ray Davis is gone. And, and as proud as Mike Wright, yes. uh, of as Clark Lee is of Mike Wright this year, I guarantee you he's sort of relieved that you know you don't have to deal with any more quarterback drama because there was some of that. <laughs> there was actually a decent amount of that this year. Um, okay, so Ray Davis out, Mike Wright out, Ken Seals probably out. Uh, obviously yeah. not. That's a not quick question. Who did before before the season ended? Who would you thought it would have transferred out first, Mike Wright or Ken Seals? Ken Seals. I'm kind of shocked Ken hasn't transferred out yet. He he's probably waiting to graduate because he's he's graduating. Well, I think um, that's why he and, stayed this year. Is he's got a? Oh, sorry, Billy, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's that's the reason he's you know, and, and I don't know if there was some sort of agreement with the coaching staff that he wasn't going to play this year. You almost start to think there was like, Hey, I don't want to I this think year. I'm in that boat. I mean, why else would he have not seen the field this year? <laughs> I mean, he still he, has the red shirt year because he, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that's why he stayed. So, you know, he, he's getting the Vanderbilt degree. Uh, he's going to transfer probably in January, February, something like that. Probably go back to Texas. Um, you know, I've heard some North Texas rumors. Um, you know, I saw a tweet about that. So, you know, good for Ken. I mean, he, he's going to go to a place and play. Um, he's not going to go power five. Uh, probably not. I mean, maybe he does, but I think he could go to a group of five school and, and play. So, um, you know, I, 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 a lot of people were surprised. Like, why have we not seen Ken Seals? Well, guys, we don't, we're not in the locker room. We, we, you know, we don't know what's going on. So there's obviously something deeper there. I think that's it. Uh, but yeah, I, I would have thought Ken Seals without this without knowing he's graduating i would have definitely guessed he's the guy to transfer before mike wright um but guys yeah. let's move on to cj taylor he's back massive piece of news i know you touched on it a little bit earlier will you know that that was a kind of an encouraging piece a few days after the ray davis and mike wright stuff cleared 
And C.J. Taylor is a guy that, you know, he's from Tennessee. He's from McMinnville, Tennessee. He played at Warren County. You know, Tennessee, you got to believe, was after this guy. You know, there were definitely probably schools after C.J. saying, come on, come over to come over to another SEC school where, you know, you can make some money, play in front of 80,000 fans. The fact that he stayed at Vanderbilt I think is huge. I think that, that's mm-hmm. very impactful and says a lot about his belief in Clark Lee and this program. So C.J. Taylor coming back I think is huge. Anthony Orgy probably. I mean, who knows, guys? I mean, you know, he's he's he tweeted the same thing as Ray Davis. What was it, a week and a half ago now, a week ago? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends if he gets accepted in the grad program also. I mean, I, you know, who knows? Who knows about Anthony? Uh, but if Anthony does – come back that's another piece man you get Anthony back my goodness I mean you start thinking about that defense next year and, and that linebacker Miles Capers oh my gosh I mean Davion. you know you start to yeah you start to oh, gosh, for Vandy Davion, fans yeah. I, I keep hitting on Davion Davis because I think we keep forgetting about him too undeniably going into the year that was the guy maybe orgy but I think Davion Davis like that is the best player on that defense the most disruptive guy the guy with the biggest upside definitely in that front seven outside of, of orgy and going into this year and we didn't see any of them maybe what any snaps from davion davis this season because of injury uh down the stretch i think he played against florida a little bit and a little bit against he did, yeah okay um but, but having yeah. a full season of him i mean that i think could be as big of an impact of anyone that's announcing their return on top of mahoney uh, another guy I'm sure you wanted to bring up, Billy, announcing he's going to return. That happened early. So yep. I think that's also gotten lost in the shuffle is your best defensive back from last season is going to be returning. And pretty much the only bright spot uh, in that secondary will will be back. Yeah, a common theme to look at, guys, is defensive players wanting to come back and play for Clark Lee. I mean, if you're a defensive player, why would you not come back? And, and develop and learn from Clark Lee and that defensive staff, Larry Black, Lazinski, Howell. I mean, unless you're, Clark- unless you're Marcus Bradley and Daniel Martin, the two <laughs> right. highest rated recruits that have come in under Clark Lee. Yeah. Unless you're those guys. We're probably kicking themselves now at this point. Uh, but yeah, Mahoney back. <laughs> so guys, you start to think at, you start to think about what this defense could be next year. Now, I think they need to attack the secondary in the portal. That, that's something, you know, you have to do. You did that with Lucian last year, and I thought Lucian made a little bit of an impact down the stretch of the season. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he was a world beater, but, you know, he, he he started to find a little bit of consistency. and and But now, you know, Lucian's out, so I think, you know, you're going to try to bring in another corner in the portal, maybe a safety. Maxwell Worship's out. Uh, but you start to see guys that, you know, you look at guys that are positives heading out or negatives heading out. Obviously, Ray Davis heading out of the program is a negative. Mike Wright heading out, I'd say, is a positive. I'm not getting personal at all, but I'm trying to look at the facts and say Maxwell Worship heading out, probably a positive, clear up some space for some young talent like that. So I just think, guys, as a car rolls by here, front yard, but I think you look at the defense and you start to think about how much better they could be, but a lot of it still depends on that secondary. You know, what improvement do you see there? You know, do, do, do the, how do they attack the portal? You've got a guy like Mortel Height coming in that I think could play. Uh, a decent amount because I mean it's got to be easy. It's a piece of cake recruiting to this Vanderbilt secondary. You know if you're if you're a, a DB or a safety to to look at a kid in the face and say hey you want to come start, <laughs> you want to come play yeah. day one for us like that. You know so they're going to be young. 
I think Jadeus Richards is going to play a lot. I think uh, you could see a little bit of uh, Trudell Berry. Uh, you didn't see any of him this year. Uh, maybe some Gumbo Gaskins. So you're going to be young, uh, but they'll be talented. And they'll have potential. But you got to expect guys they'll have they'll have to bring in either one or two experienced corners or safeties or both uh, to to kind of bolster that that back end of the defense like they did with Lucian. Yeah, the two positions to watch: running back and secondary. In the transfer portal are going to be the two. Areas I would also that say tight end to bring in. Yeah, tight end. Okay. If Pimpton, yeah. especially if Pimpton decommits. But to be honest, to be saying, and I know that the Ray Davis transfer changes everything of like perspective, because I would have been saying that tight end and secondary for how many holes this team had two years ago is a nice spot to be sitting in. Uh, but running back, you know, does add an even larger hole. But still, you have you've taken it from like I don't even know where to begin with the current state of this roster to saying definitively right now you need help in the secondary, which is a big hole. You need help at tight end, and you need help at running back. There are areas you know where the problems lie going into next season, and I think that's a step forward. That at least you know where the problems lie, so you can try to address them in an off season. This is the first time the staff has had that opportunity. And guys, that yeah. front seven, that front seven looks good next year. I mean, the fact that we're not talking about that front seven as a weakness anymore, that's a positive, Trevor. I mean, yes, know, we, we... I think, I think too. I, and I mean, earlier this year, before the season started, the particularly your front three or front four, um, they, I mean, the saying paper thin was, um, I mean, Time. understatement of the year. Um, I think the fr- I mean the front seven is going to look really, really good, guys. I think hopefully I I think we sort of hit on it. Um, hopefully you get somebody like Nate Clifton back. It sounds like you get somebody like Nate Clifton back. Of course, Davion Davis, Darren. Um, I ke- I keep harping on him. Vanderbilt fans have fun because uh, Darren is going to be a stud. You're going to see guys like Bradley Mann next year, I think, who didn't get a ton of playing time. I think you're going to see him as a really, really good edge rusher uh, for Vanderbilt. Of course, um, the linebacking core, you're going to see a lot more Kane Patterson. You're going to see his younger brother, Langston, got some touches on special teams. I think he's really, really good. And, I mean, I think the cherry on top that nobody has seen is Miles Capers. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. out of out of camp, everybody said they're like, this kid was true. he was the best. Yeah, he was I mean, the guy. And I think too, I think the fact that you and I totally agree. I think the fact that you have gone from okay before the season started, you thought, and I think rightfully so. You're like linebacker is going to be the strength of this team, of the defense. I think it was. I think now, and I sort I I totally agree with what Will said. Now that you're to the point to where you're like, okay. The front three slash front front four looks good. Linebackers look good. And, I mean, in the secondary, I would like to get a cornerback. If they don't get a cornerback in the portal, I would be okay. I think you need to get a safety, though. I think you have to get a safety, though. Um, And I would like to see them move Mahoney back to sort of like a db maybe throw him in an anchor maybe like yeah like nickel or like even like one of those like i mean he's not big enough for anchor but sort of like that hybrid that um and uh, and we heard we heard warren burks was i think he could even play like sort of that position that warren burks was sort of that x or 
he's not big enough, but something out of that safety position. I mean, but I think you're I also think, hoping the pass rush in that improves, front. It, it's yes. like what we That's always big, talk about is like yep. the chicken and, and the egg. Does. Is how much yeah. is the secondary the issue? And how much is the pass rush being unable to get pressure and make the quarterback uncomfortable the issue? I yeah. think, and I don't guys, think I, we know that. I think the well, secondary took a brunt of the impact. The pass rush was better, but certainly lacking, especially against the better passing offenses that Vanderbilt faced. And that always makes a secondary look a lot worse when the quarterback is basically playing seven on seven. And yes, well, and, but it, it, it was really thin, though, for a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's one thing. You obviously didn't have a lot of dogs up there. Um, I think the I I'm think the front four is – yeah. I think the front four is going to take a huge step forward. I mean, I'm also I, – I know Javon Hay is a part of that defensive line staff. I'm a Javon Hay guy. I think it's hard not to like him. I think he's a I, – you can make the argument he's the best recruiter on this I, staff. I was, I was just going to say that, yep. Yeah, you can make the argument he's the best recruiter on this staff. Um, and he's an incredible defensive line coach. I, I really, really think the pass rush is going to take a huge step forward. I mean, look at, year. look at, look at the guys that had success this year. Like Christian James, they developed him into a guy that made an impact. Yeah. I mean, Nate yeah, Clifton, a big impact. guys, Nate Clifton was a, a kid out of Brentwood Academy that, you know, I think his only other offer were schools like Georgia state, Georgia Southern and, and, He's come into Vanderbilt and developed. Of course, he had to go through Mason, and now he, you know, he stayed with Clark Lee and 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 that coaching staff, and they turned him into something. I mean, you know, that's the difference with this staff, guys. You, you saw so many recruits that just, you know, didn't work out, plain and simple, with Coach Mason, and and quite frankly, never really a had lot. a chance to yeah. with that coaching staff. But now they have turned in a, a pretty good majority of Mason recruits into serviceable players. Like that that's mm-hmm. something we can't forget about. And credit to those players. That the Mason slash Clark Lee guys they deserve as much credit as the, the recruits on this staff or, or the player, you know, that the, the recruits that Clark well, it's Lee kinda, Billy, brought it's, in. They had so many transfers, but that's the perfect example of the old adage and what you see constantly, which is if it's your team and a bunch of guys are transferring out. More than likely, it's the current coach, you know, make getting rid of the guys that didn't fit the previous uh, or were brought in by the previous staff and didn't meet the standards of the current staff. And if it's your rival, then they're losing all their talent and the program's in shambles. This is one of the few times, I think, when you saw so many transfers after Derek Mason and then you saw some more transfers when Clark Lee came in and you've seen the trickle effect in the first couple of years of guys that were brought in before Clark Lee transferring out the guys that stayed bought in and were better for it. Uh, and I think early on, it was one of the few times where we took a positive perspective of saying that guys that were transferring out just didn't fit the system or, or weren't buying in fully. And I think that was probably the right perspective. I'm always afraid to take that stance because you can always get caught viewing through the lens of your fan base uh, uh, and just spinning it positively. But I, I think for the most part, you haven't seen the staff hemorrhage talent from the roster, at least long-term talent. And I think that's most shown in, in Will Shepard and C.J. Taylor because Ray Davis is going to be a one-year rental. I'm not trying to diminish Ray Davis, okay? I'm really not. <laughs> I wanted him back badly. But that was a one-year – he had one year left. Um, so th- this staff did a good job of getting out the talent early. It seems like there is some type of culture being built. I hate when people are talking about like, he just has that locker room different. 
I'm like, a lot of that depends just on the vibe of how things are going. Like if this team would have finished three and nine, I don't think we would be discussing it the same way with the locker room vibes and the culture Clark Lee is creating. But we have that privilege now because they didn't finish three and nine. They finished five and seven. Uh, so there is some positive momentum moving forward. Uh, but I guess we will see. I just don't want to get too caught into the hype around that because there's still a lot of things and a lot of time left uh, in this. I'm not even going to call it off season or recruiting. I'm just going to call it free agency in this college football free agency period. There are a lot of things that can happen that can completely change uh, my entire perspective on how the season is going to play out. Yeah, well, uh, we, we shall see. Uh, there, there's still a lot that that is going to happen. Uh, there, there's recruits that could potentially decommit. There's players that still could potentially transfer. Uh, and we have no clue. Uh, a lot of this episode has been speculation. Uh, some of it, you know, has has been facts that we think are true, but we may not even know are true. So uh, that's kind of what you get after a football season. I mean, you get a lot of speculation and a lot of uh, fans jumping to conclusions. And uh, we're trying to settle Vanny fans down a little bit, you know, get back to the middle, as uh, as Coach Corbin says. But, guys, real quick here, I don't want to spend too much time. Uh, Vanderbilt basketball, let's hop into that. I don't think we've talked about Vanderbilt basketball at all, really. Uh, I mean, we we uh, we kind of joked about it towards the end of last episode because uh, that's how the season was going, quite frankly. Um, I mean, Vandy defeats Pitt 75-74. Vandy improves to 5-4, uh, not quite 7-4 yet. Uh, Vandy wins the Kevin Stallings Bowl. Uh, they almost blew it though, guys. I mean that that almost looked like a prototypical Stackhouse type blowing of yep. a game. I mean, Tyron mm-hmm. Lawrence got fouled with one second left. He hits both free throws to win the game. So credit to Tyron Lawrence. Um, congrats on Vandy for the win. But man, that was ugly. Uh, Pitt lost the game despite having four players in double figures, uh, shooting nearly fifty percent from three point range. Um, it's actually pretty impressive. Uh, Vandy found a way to win this game without Jordan Wright down the stretch. Uh, I mean, hopefully he's okay. I, Stackhouse said after the game he should be fine and ready to go uh, Friday night against Grambling. So, you know, I, I think Jordan Wright's fine, but Vandy sort of needs him to be 100% this year. <laughs> I mean, you look yeah. at – I mean, I uh, Trevor, we mentioned my powers. This is how it works, all right? I truly believe yeah, it me. was right after uh, Jordan Wright kind of was limping down the court. I said, Wright isn't right. And then all he busted off a run where he – that was horrible phrasing. He immediately <laughs> scored like nine or 11 points or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, so this is how my powers work. When I completely lose faith, that's the only time that Vanderbilt can succeed. And then when my hope comes back, that's when Vanderbilt got down by one there uh, at the end of that game after blowing an eight-point mm. lead and, and basically having a lead for the entire second half despite Pittsburgh at one point shooting close to 70%. I think it was from three. They, they were, were shooting the lights Absolutely unconscious, Jeez. as it is consistently against Vanderbilt. But the one thing that I think was, was shrouded in the fact that Pittsburgh was absolutely unconscious, Vanderbilt was the team that was quicker to almost every loose ball. They were the team that was getting the offensive rebounds. I think the announcers who weren't on site, that's a whole other rant, that I can go on. They, do, you, do you blame them? Do you really blame them, though? Yes, I blame ESPN for putting a game on SEC Network and having broadcasters that were not on site and it clearly impacting the quality of the broadcast. Um, I mean, having Dame Bradshaw is bad enough. That's already pretty awful. 
Yeah, he, he knew he knew absolutely nothing about Vanderbilt. Oh like, he was nah, he was dude, like throwing sucks. Yeah, so you can but, tell uh, they're not on site when they get the numbers wrong consistently on foul call. Well, and That's there's the a delay. Way to tell because they delay. don't they don't have the view on the ref. Yeah, they don't have so, the view on the referee. Is what seems to be like the most telling thing. <laughs> the delay they seem to do a pretty good job of hiding, but consistently there was one specifically where they just kept saying it was a foul on Liam Robbins. And it so was clearly a foul on Ansong. And they just kept saying it over and over for like 30 seconds. And that's when it really hit me. And for the rest of the broadcast, it was just pissing me off. That they well, were. But what was Ivan talking about before Billy? Uh, before, uh, before the broadcasting crew? Who knows? George, Probably not worth it. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, who knows? I honestly Oh, uh, team shooting the lights out Memorial. Oh, yeah. That I think at one point the announcers had said that Vanderbilt had shot more than 20 more shots than Pittsburgh at one point in the game. And this game was won because Vanderbilt was grittier. I mean, I hate that word, but they were the tougher team. The 50-50 balls seemed to bounce Vanderbilt's way. And then at the end, I said in a tweet, it was going to be my last time mentioning it. Was that a foul at the end when Tyron Lawrence threw the basket? We have, if it was the other direction, I think we would, we be, would have been absolutely – pissed yeah so i'm going to just that's why i said thank you universe is all this doesn't make up for it like the debt against vanderbilt fans and in my soul is still so far down i mean just jeff green walking like 15 years ago in the sweet 16 that is enough for that to happen a hundred times over uh in basketball games but i'm not so sure that tyron uh had a Foul it was questionable. It was questionable. Him. It was questionable, yeah. but ice in the veins to knock it down. But this will be my last time mentioning that. Guys, do you think in your heart of hearts that that was a good call at the end of the game? I no. <laughs> Thank you. Charlie. No. I mean, I th- I will say I think the fact that it was three on one made it look worse than it was. It looked like he was going to foul. Well, he went How up he strong, in, though. but he, he went never up strong. His arms. He never brought what his Tyron, arms down. And I Tyron think it did, was an though. anticipatory call by the Pat Adams crew in Vanderbilt's favor. What, so, what, I mean, I, I just think that that is something to just hold our hands up and not question. Yeah, but what Tyron did was, Zach said this after the game, he went up strong. I mean, he he drew the contact. Yeah. Like, and great an play by Mignon as well. Yeah, because there I mean, was clearly nothing there on that initial Mignon, action. Guys, I mean, Mignon. Guys, Mignon. one-on-one great play. Mignon's a finisher. Like, as poorly as he may have played at times in that game and throughout sort of the season this year, last minute or two of games, he's been great. I mean, penetrating, yeah. getting getting big shots. Uh, I mean, he hit the game winner against Temple, I think. And so Mannion is kind of, you know, a little bit of a love and hate. But, you know, this team relies on the point guard more than most teams because that's the way the offense is run. You, you look at Pippen last year. I mean, Pippen was was – the offense and, and Manion, yeah. he's not the to offense, a pure so. facilitator. Like he's a, he's Bear, a, pure, he's, a he's an old school, like pure non-scoring distributing Tinsley. point. Guard. Right. And, and if he the way if he different is, than Brad Tinsley, even because Manion is like, he he'll shoot he it. Maybe shoot. if he's left completely alone, but he is best that case, is a true. mid-range shooter. Tinsley he's even hesitant at the mid-range. So like it's weird. And I think stack is going to take some time to start adjusting his lineups because it's like every lineup stack puts out there is with the assumption your point guard has the ability to score. And Mignon is going to slice to the basket and create for others on kickouts and dump-offs. 
but he's not a scorer. I mean, I think your best, like, it's going to be odd to see Magnon hit the teens uh, for the most part. But Stack's lineup seemed to be shaped in a way that has Magnon scoring 15, 16 points a game, and that's just never going to happen. It's not his style of play. He's very fast, solid defender, and he's really good at drawing in larger defenders and not panicking. I mean, he got triple teamed. Uh, when he dished it off to Lawrence. And it would have been very easy to attempt that shot or attempt that kind of wild layup there at the end. And he had the uh, consciousness uh, and self-awareness to dump that ball off to Lawrence to a bigger body player open underneath the basket. And I just think that Lawrence's clutchness has been overshadowed uh, by the fact that Magnon completely improvised that. It looked like the secondary option was for him to be one-on-one and create. Uh, And Lawrence cut down to the basket and Magnon was able to improvise and find him. But I also know another part was that last shot by Pitt was blocked by Liam Robbins. But how much of you watched Robbins' hand go down there and attempt to block that shot? And he did make contact with the ball, and it was a clean block. But I just felt a foul coming Yeah, when his arm went down. He did everything you're not supposed to. But I guess when you're uh, top 15 in the country in the NCAA in blocks, you don't have to follow the block rule. But it sure looked like Number he was – Number seven, he, I think. He broke the rule of – hands coming down on the last second shot attempt from a team. I'll say this. I think uh, Liam was a little bit of a disappointment last year. I think obviously too, coming off an injury, that's tough. Liam Robbins is playing basketball at a very, very high level right now. I, I wish he would stop trying to shoot threes. I, and whenever he does make it, it feels so good, but he's shooting like, 20 something percent from the three. I will I say really like three of 14. So he doesn't have a huge, he was like three of 14 going into that game, I think, or going into yes. the last game and he hit one. But but he's, he's playing, he's playing really, really good basketball. I think, I think we're starting to see Jordan heat up. It sucks that he's hurt. And I think Jordan sort of has that same um, energy as, as Ezra is what you see is whenever Jordan takes it strong into the hoop, everybody crashes on him. We even mm-hmm. saw it last night. You have to respect him going to the hoop. Everybody crashes on him. Yes, and then you dish it out to Miles Studi, whether he's in the corner uh, or even if you set up a, something for him at the top of the key. I think whenever you can get him in ISO situations or even clean shots, I think that's what happens whenever Ezra or Jordan drives. I mean, I, I think you even see it with Liam. Whenever you got Liam backing down somebody in the post – there's been a ton of times to where he's so big and he's so physical that someone's going to have to come off their guy and, and give help a defense. And that's going to leave somebody open. Um, so I think, I think whatever you do that, I think you allow miles studio to play sort of his style of basketball, um, which is sort of, sort of be that guy that shoot. Uh, I don't like him taking it up the court. I understand like sometimes like push comes to shove and he has to, um, I don't think that's his game, to be honest. But I think his game is to be that sharpshooter that dish it out, kick it to him, and just let him rain. And I we, love well, we, Miles Studi. We this talk, is my, oh, like, dude, I, I love, he yeah. is not involved. Look, I know, and I watched, I, like, watch Miles Studi the entire time. Because if he is coming off screens aggressively and other teams are having to focus on him, it opens up everything. It's like yeah. having a guy like Will Shepard on one side of the court having the focus of the defense. It just opens up the other guys to look a lot better. That is Miles Studi when he is playing well. And 
it's not he's still shooting well over 50 percent from three it's no longer a fluke i mean this is yeah. this is getting to the point of he's a shooter absurd. Well, I, I don't i don't think he, it was ever a fluke <laughs> i mean i i know like but early in the season i mean 50 percent is insane like right, like yeah. a, above 40 is considered a great it was like okay shooter. do it again this year yeah, 50 percent. He shot like 43 percent last year. He's shooting 53, 54 percent, just repeatedly shooting and putting up these stats of like it's five ridiculous. of nine, six of ten from three. He is going to be as this season progresses, and he's probably going to be back next year as well, because I don't anticipate him being a leave early for the NBA type guy. He is going to end up being one of the most deadly shooters, and I don't say that lightly. I understand the history of Vanderbilt basketball. I truly do. I am a diehard fan. Miles Studi is going to go down as one of the best shooters and most accurate shooters in the history of Vanderbilt basketball. His jump shot is so pure, and you know what he has in him? Trevor, Billy, you know what he's got in him? He's got, dog. Dog. he's got oh, that fucking yes. dog. He's got that dog. He does. And he's he got, and I don't care. He's it. going. I see it occasionally. He is going at some point to get a technical at a bad time. He is going at some point. He did it a lot last year. A che- it's gonna happen. You need that. I would take that ten thousand times over at certain times what? in the game. What? Next game. Next game. <laughs> I want you to focus on watching Miles Studi and watch what he does to every single player that guards him. He is in their head, and they are 100% focused on their emotion and guarding Miles Studi and not letting him score and talking shit to him. They're not even worried about what's going on in the rest of the game because he has them so riled up, and you need that on a team, especially when your guy that is your main scorers are Tyron Lawrence and Liam Robbins and Jordan Wright, who I know, you know, Liam has a little bit of it in him. He did get that cheap technical that sent stack on the big gigantic tirade that went viral, but this team doesn't have a lot of big talkers and a lot of big personalities. And when your leading scorer in Jordan Wright certainly isn't a guy that's constantly chopping it up with the other team. Somebody has to fill that void because if you've been on a basketball court before, it is constantly going on, and somebody's doing the talking. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be your best player, but right now Miles Studi is playing like Vanderbilt's best player, and he's doing the best job of talking shit as well. He is a joy to watch. And Trevor, they were the golds for you. That day, hey, 2-0 in the golds. I'll also <laughs> say, too, going off what you said about him, like getting like a dumb technical or something, it wasn't a tech last night, and I thought Billy was going to bring it up. Dude, the hook and that hold. push. That, well, the hook and that, hold. Did you see I the shithead smile Miles Duty, on his Miles, face was, into the camera? Miles that was Duty, beautiful. I was Duty. Miles Duty. Miles Duty. Miles Duty literally pulled him down to the ground with him, and then they called and then the he foul on the other at guy. The camera and smirked. He looked at the camera and smiled because it was what I was talking about. He got the foul on the other guy, which I need to pull up all these clips that I'm referencing. But the guy that was defending him was constantly putting his hand into Miles Studi's chest when he was off the ball. And Miles Studi was repeatedly slapping it away. And then I saw him walk over, say something to the ref. And then the next time the dude did it, he put it into his chest and Miles Studi immediately smacked it aggressively and the ref called a foul on the other guy. And the other guy went irate. It was the same guy that they went to the monitor on, on that hook and hold or whatever. They ended up calling where he smirked at the camera. It's just an aspect to this team that they were missing. 
And, yeah. and I think you finally have the guy that's just kind of drawing the attention, and that's just going to let Jordan Wright cook, which and is the, what you really need. You need him to be yeah. the Batman to somebody's – or the Robin to somebody's Batman. Uh, but even if that's Studi on the outside, I mean, if Jordan Wright can take that secondary role of his lanes being opened up by a shooter, I know that's kind of in reverse, uh, but it just kind of looks like, especially with him not 100% healthy, that, that that is how this team is going to succeed offensively. And the thing about Studi, the, the thing about Studi in that game, when Jordan Wright went out, Studi had a couple good drives, and he finished over defenders in the paint. And that's what we talked about yeah. in the season preview. I mean, we, we said, can he develop a little bit of a, a drive game? And I, I think he has. I mean, I think he has. So, so guys, I think that that could be an added dimension to this team where Wright's out, Studi, go score. <laughs> like, his off-the-dribble yeah. production is better than I think I anticipated, at least last night. Now he's got to keep that going, and I think that will help this team if he can do that. But, man, I mean, you saw that. I think it was an and-one uh, late in the game. with uh, I think it was under three minutes to play. Uh, right, no, no Jordan Wright. You give it to Studi, and you said go score. And, and that's what he did. Um, so – Guys, I do – we've been positive about this basketball segment, but most of this season has been – I know they have a win over Temple and a win over Pitt last night, but – and Southern Miss has actually turned out to be – I think they're 8-1 right now. <laughs> so that Southern Miss team is actually pretty good. Um, I'm trying to find the tweet, as, but I think Robbie put out something showing the strength of schedule. The net rankings? Yeah, according to yeah. Kenny yep. Palm. It's number 64. Early in the, no, number yeah, 64. it's just – the main thing was just comparing to other SEC teams and seeing like there's a big it's it's the main reason that Belmont uh, they might be a little down this season. But like Belmont has a tough time or had a tough time scheduling out of conference opponents, especially power five out of conference opponents when they were really, really good, because why would you schedule a team with no name recognition? That it that otherwise you can go schedule a Tennessee Tech. That's my alma mater, so I can throw shade. Uh, you can go schedule a Tennessee Tech, or you can go schedule ETSU on the years that they're not good, or whoever the hell out in that Vanderbilt's Mississippi Valley State Delta that has no name recognition. Why would you schedule one of these teams that can come in and beat you very easily on any given night? So I think that's what Vanderbilt has done early. They're at the end of the season uh, when they're struggling in the win total and everybody's pointing at 21 or 22 or 23 win teams and saying these teams should be in over this Vanderbilt team that has 17 or 18 wins. Well, that just promotes paying teams that are really bad at basketball to come in to hand you free wins, similar to what teams do in football with their out of conference scheduling. There's no benefit to playing these lower level, really good mid-major programs, but Vanderbilt, loves to schedule them i don't know if it's something they're doing intentionally to raise that kin palm at the end of the season or if they just want to save money uh so they don't have to lose or pay money to lose their pay games uh like they already did once uh once this season yeah, yeah. so i think oh, go ahead i'll Trevor. say one quick thing i think and i've been me personally i've been very very negative about the basketball team so far Vanderbilt, if you look at their schedule, they have a, a real opportunity to beat. Obviously, I expect them to beat Grambling State tomorrow. Then they have NC State. That's probably their that's their toughest non conference game they have left. Winnable game. 
lost to Colorado, um, I believe, but they have the chance to be Grambling State, NC State, Alabama, A&M. I don't even know what the hell this team is. Um, <laughs> and then going into conference play, South Carolina at home, then you go to Missouri. You could going into Tennessee. That's on, an easy start to the SEC season. By on the way. Jan, going into Tennessee on January the tenth, Vanderbilt could be eleven and four. Don't look now. Don't look now. I mean, <laughs> how dare you? I mean, how dare you put that evil on Vandy basketball? Um, I mean, uh, don't let me start drinking the juice now. <laughs> Not that no, but on, honestly, State, I'm going to be super pissed off. But I mean, on, that's what it, it is. In all honesty, though, as negative as I've been, and we've all—I think we've all been negative. I mean, it's hard not to be. That was a a big win. I mean, if you lose, you lose that game. Yeah, losses start to pile up. You know, you, you lose to Southern Miss, you lose to Memphis, uh, you know, you lose to Pitt. Who else? St. Mary's. Um, you know, VCU. VCU. Brutal scene. I mean, we haven't even talked about that, and I don't really want to. By Ugh. the way, but. Um, yeah. you know, a, a one, but guys, at the same time, a one point win over a pit team that you know we don't know how good they are that you almost blew that doesn't change my mind on the direction of this program, you know. And I think this is a a broader point that that we can keep talking about throughout the season. But you know, this could change in SEC play, like you said, Trevor. I, I think, like I said, it it it's a pretty favorable start to the SEC season. Maybe you get out to a good start in SEC play, but you start playing the monsters like Arkansas. Tennessee. Oh yeah, Kentucky. I think it's still going to get pretty ugly. To be yeah. honest with you, Vandy. Look, is... I, I mean, I I hate I hate to play the who played who game, okay? Because it's early in a basketball season. But that Pittsburgh team lost to VCU earlier this season, and they beat NC State as well. So I I think, like you said, that's going to be a good win. The only one of these losses that I look at are the ones that are going to be posted on the end of year bracketology that are going to be posted as good wins or bad losses. And the one that we haven't touched on enough is Southern Miss, which was a very bad loss. It's really the only thing that's happened in this whole out-of-conference start to the season that I would say is really bad or really good, is losing your pay game at home to Southern Miss. And that's going to be something that's going to haunt this team. But almost you can say they offset it with that win over Pittsburgh because I think you sit a lot differently – with the same side of that Southern Miss game is going to be viewed at the end of the season. Like that was a really bad loss. I think this Pittsburgh game uh, is going to be viewed as a benefit to this team on their NCAA tournament resume, but I don't want to spit too much positivity because this SEC schedule and this SEC this year, my God, I mean, there's some very, very talented teams, especially up at the top. Trevor, you mentioned Arkansas said you're afraid it was going to get ugly. I think Vanderbilt presents unique challenges uh, to teams this year. I think that they're going to be an interesting team to watch in betting markets because I think that they're going to be size-wise a lot bigger than a lot of teams that they play this season. I mean, they were so much bigger than Pittsburgh, and I don't know exactly where Pittsburgh ranks out in, in overall height stats in the NCAA but they had a clear size advantage that showed up and won them that game with second chance opportunities and getting to loose balls. Length and height sure make a team also look like they're getting a lot more of those 50-50 balls. I know effort was there. I already complimented that. But Vanderbilt is a very long and tall team, and I think that's going to present some challenges to teams that overall basketball is not shifting the direction of having 
three, four guys that are close to seven feet tall that consistently are rotated in and out of the game in QMB, Liam Robbins, uh, Lee Dort, and Malik Dio. Yeah, I and and Song's arms are like 19 feet long as well. Yeah, he reminds I, I, me of Lance Goulborn. Everybody's <laughs> been throwing comparisons out there. Uh, Emmanuel Lansong reminds me a lot of a young Lance Goulborn. Uh, and Goulborn developed a little bit more of an offensive game later, but he also had that long, those long arms. He was a grinder early in, early in his career. He would just pulled down every single rebound that you could imagine. And song has something he, mm-hmm. he's not the, you know, I know he's a transfer from where was he from Wisconsin green Bay, I think, but and song provides this spark and he actually buried a three that was pretty key in that Pittsburgh game. So you love yeah. to see that. Love to see yes. it. Uh, guys, th- there's pieces on this team. I mean, that you can't deny that you've got a kid like Liam Robbins, who is an NBA player. You've got a really good college player in Jordan, Wright. You've got one of the best shooters in the country in miles Studi. You've got talented freshmen. So the pieces are there, but is there enough? Is there enough gelling? Is there chemistry? Is there culture? Is there coaching? Coaching is the biggest thing here, guys. There's a lot of really good sec coaches that, you know, say Vanderbilt, has the height edge, or they're dominating points in the paint. You could have another coach on the sideline that's just better. And and so I, I think co- this is where we're going to learn a lot about Stackhouse in this SEC play. And he's got the opportunity. It's right in front of him. And Vanderbilt fans are kind of sitting back waiting. By the way, that crowd was awful against Pitt. It was awful. And we've talked about it. And now I wasn't surprised it was awful. But that's something that needs to be raised. This The program is not headed in the right direction right now you know i i say say they they make the nit again you know they're they're going down that road again of uh oh next year you know we got some sophomores coming in they're going to be good it's just you need something more you know in this four it's mm-hmm. the fourth year of stackhouse you got to see more and it starts nc state that game in chicago that's a big opportunity sec play guys go beat a tennessee Go show that you have made that progress. So there's still a lot to be, a lot of games to be played, a lot to happen. I do think that was a big win, guys. I I do think it was, but you know there's still work to be done. Like I don't think that win makes a huge difference in in the the perception of Vandy fans' minds of this program and the direction of the program. So we'll see, we'll see, guys. There's just not. <sighs> There's no oomph. There's no buzz, right? You know. I think there was a lot more negative that could have be, been created with a loss than positives are created with a win, uh, especially how they won late. I think it's the big thing. But Billy, I'm the perfect example. I'm about as diehard of a fan as there is, and I don't live far away from Memorial Gym. If this team was six and two or seven or one, seven and one instead of four and four going into this game, I would have been there at the game. Uh, but if it's a weeknight game and I'm going to make the commitment that that will be my entire evening after work on top of spending money, I'm going to buy tickets, drive down immediately after work, go to that game. I'm not going to go down when there's the chance that they're going to come out and lay an absolute egg, which is what they have done a majority of the time over the Stackhouse era. So I think basketball will trend and shift a lot quicker than football will if they win. Also, the scale of success is different. Like you're actually fighting for an NCAA tournament berth versus just being happy with the five and seven season. But you're trying to fill a 14, 15,000 seat gym versus a 41,000 seat football stadium. 
and you have more recent success and a more built-in fan base. So it's literally just win. It can be this season. But I promise you, if this Vanderbilt team rips off five straight wins, whatever the next home game after five straight wins will be packed. And like that's just how it is in basketball, whether it's high school, whether it's the best program in the country outside of the very few elite ones. You saw it with Tennessee, with Tennessee basketball. Tennessee basketball, nobody gave a shit about Tennessee basketball up until like the last five years and when they had Chris Lofton. I remember back in the day that it was literally made fun of by Tennessee fans that Vanderbilt fans would talk about basketball and Tennessee fans would say, nobody cares about basketball or baseball. Everything in the SEC is football. Now, all of a sudden, this Tennessee basketball program and the baseball program for Tennessee have taken a step up and are much better. Now their attendance, everything is sold out. Imagine that because winning cures all marketing all the redos to the arena, whatever complaints fans have, it doesn't matter. That's to get recruits in the door to put wins on the board because fans want to go watch wins and winners. That's literally all that matters. So I saw some comments about the players deserve more. Win games, you'll get more. I promise. Mm -hmm. And the point needs to be raised that this program has fallen quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the crowd against Pitt, you know, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm trying to look at what is happening with this program. It's sad. It really is. And I think it's a discussion we need to have, long-form discussion saying, why is it fallen? Why is it fallen this far? Is it coaching? Is it recruiting? Obviously, winning plays a role, but why? Why has that happened to Vanderbilt basketball? So I, I do want to have that discussion. But, yeah. guys, for for Vandy right now, you know, say they, you know, they start off, you know, two and zero, maybe three and one in the SEC. Tennessee and Kentucky come to town, and there's momentum with with the program. If Kent, Kentucky and Tennessee fans still overtake that gym, that's when we have a, you know, that's when there's a problem. Like if Vandy starts well, well Kentucky in the SEC, fans will take over the gym regardless because it's been a thing for years that they buy season tickets just to go to the Kentucky game. So Kentucky fans will take it over. If Tennessee fans take it over, I'll be disappointed. Right. Yeah. But I'm I'm saying from a broad perspective, you, you cannot have an over a, a just a takeover, you know, because yeah. that has happened. Tennessee fans took over <laughs> Memorial Gym uh, in the Bryce Drew when Vandy was zero and five. Tennessee was five and zero. I mean, that was probably 80 percent Tennessee fans, and obviously Vandy's probably not going to start zero and five. But from an overall perspective, you. you you just don't, you don't want to see that. So, uh, guys, up next, Grambling, Friday night. That uh, should be a win, but you really never know with this era. Uh, then they don't play again until next Saturday versus NC State. Uh, Legends of Basketball Showcase in Chicago. And then a couple cupcake home games and then SEC play. January 3rd, uh, Mizzou in South Carolina, I think you said, Trev. So, um, yep. fa favorable. <laughs> pretty pretty favorable start to the SEC play but guys I think that was the longest episode of TDR ever uh, that that's uh, that, that'll do it uh, for episode 196 uh, still a lot of football to get to we'll talk more about the portal uh, coming up Vandy football recruits uh, we may wait we may wake up to some good or bad Kimuri and Pimpton news uh, and hopefully Junior Cheryl, uh, he stays in Nashville. But without further ado, you've been listening for episode 196 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.